This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church. Stay tuned and find us online at nagsheadchurch.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Nags Head Church. Good morning. Good to see everybody out this morning on Father's Day and say Happy Father's Day to all our dads. Um, we don't really have a Father's Day message this morning. Somebody asked me when I told them I would be speaking this morning if we were talking about Father's Day, and um, not really, but I just wanted to mention up front here that um, it is Father's Day, and I know with Father's Day, just like Mother's Day, there's a lot of different emotions that go along with the day, um, and so we just uh, want to be mindful of that. A lot of different people have different um Feelings, like I say, with Father's Day, some good, some bad, uh, whatever your situation might be. If you're a dad like me, um, you're probably on this on this day when Father's Day comes around. You're you're thinking to yourself, you know, maybe examining yourself. Did I do? A, am I doing a good job? Did I do a good job with my kids? You know, so Father's Day uh, causes us to kind of think about those things and maybe evaluate ourselves and the job that we're doing. And then, of course, on Father's Day, your kids give you gifts and stuff, you know, and you're always hoping that the gifts that they give you maybe are a little bit more indication of a better job than you're really actually doing, right? You want a a really good gift, you know, whether you're doing a good job or not, or if you've messed up, which which we all do. Um, But also, if you're a dad, you know, if if you're not a dad, you're thinking about your dad, um, and, and again, some people don't even have dads, or maybe not have grown up with dads, and so there's a, there's a, um, a, some feelings there that, that people experience. Um, you may have had a dad, but it may not have been the dad that you, you wanted or wished you had. But um, we do have a godly father, our heavenly father, that we can look to, even those who, who don't have dads with him, or maybe didn't grow up with dads, as our, as our father. And so this morning we're going to talk a little bit about um, the relationship between the, the father and the son, um, and the plan that they had for you and I for this world. Um, as dads, we like to make plans for our kids, right? If you, if you have any kids, uh, wouldn't it be great if you could plan out their life and see the way it goes? You know, you could pick their spouse maybe, or, um, you know, I have four girls, so, you know, you think about when they're young, you know, you start thinking and praying about the husband they're going to choose, and, and you think about maybe what college you would like to see them go to. And so in your head as a father, you're thinking about the plan for their life, you know, and you're seeing it. You know, I, w- I wish I could control, um, you know, some of the things that happens in their life and plan it out for them. But, of course, it doesn't work out that way. But as, as Christians, we can help our kids and teach them um, godly wisdom and, and help them grow as Christians and teach them, you know, what the Bible says about principles. And, and that's kind of a plan that you can help with them with and, and aid them in that way, help them plan out their lives that way. Um, one of the things that um, when we look at the relationship between Jesus and his father, we see that there was a plan that they had long ago to save you and I. They came up with a plan thousands and thousands of years ago, and they gave it to us. They gave us that plan in what we call the Old Testament. You know, there's the prophecies that talk about uh, what would happen in the future and that plan that they would have for us. And so they came up with that plan. The thing about plans is they only work, plans only work if you keep them, right? 
you can have all kinds of sorts of plans, but if you don't keep those plans, they don't, they don't, they, they're, they're really not any good. Uh, there was a French writer that wrote this quote. He says, a goal without a plan is just a wish, right? A goal without a plan is just a wish. So there has to be a plan and you have to stick to that plan. And so the Father and the Son came up with this plan along with the Holy Spirit, the, the Trinity. He came up with that, this plan that we would need to be saved from our sins. And that plan involved the Father sending the Son here to earth and live on this earth and then go to the cross. And we'll be talking about that later as we remember the Lord's death as we take communion later. And he gave us that plan in the Bible. He gave that plan to his chosen people and let them know, like I said, thousands of years ago, this is what's going to happen. This is how it's going to work out. And so the plan was set into motion when Jesus was born. And we call that plan the plan of salvation. That's when we place our faith in Christ for salvation. Today, though, we're going to talk about, we're talking about miracles this summer. And uh, this is the third week that we're talking about this, these miracles of Jesus. And um, so today we're going to talk about uh, kind of a different, maybe something that you're not really, I've never thought about being a miracle, but the miracle of Jesus staying alive and staying on course with the plan that they had set forth, like I said, long ago. It's not just one miracle. But we're going to talk about four different events in Jesus' life that showed this miracle of His plan to save us. Jesus had an appointed time that He was to go to the cross and die for our sins, but the forces of evil and man tried to stop that plan from coming to. So that's what we're going to talk about today. After Jesus was born, you know, in the, in the manger, and, and we celebrate that at Christmas time. After he was born, um, some year, about a, a year and a half later or so, you know, the, the story of the Magi or the, the wise men who traveled to see him and bring gifts. They came to Jerusalem and they brought uh, these gifts and they were looking for the king, the Jewish king that had been born. They saw the, the star and they were following that, the sign, and they, were, they, were, they came into town and they were asking, hey, where, where's this king at that, that was born? And of course, it caused such a, a clamor and everything that Herod found out about it and he heard about it. And so he asked the wise men to come talk to him. And, and they said, hey, we're looking for this king. And he's like, well, when you find him, you know, let me know so I can go worship him with you. You know, of course, that wasn't his plan, we know. So they left and went to Bethlehem where Jesus was at that time. He was probably anywhere between a year to two years old. And they brought him the gifts and... Um, but when they left, they didn't go tell Herod, they went back home. And so that made Herod angry. And so Joseph had a dream and God told him, hey, when, 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 you, know, you need to get up and leave and go to Egypt. And so the first thing we see that Jesus escaping is he escaped to Egypt. From the time of his birth, when he was just a baby, they were, the, the forces of evil were seeking out to kill him. And so Herod uh, sent out a decree to kill all the babies that were in that town, but they, Joseph and Mary and Jesus, had already left, gone to Egypt. And, and there was a miracle that this angel told them and told him to go and, and leave. And so Matthew 2, 13 says, 
After they were gone, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And so that's exactly what Herod did. And that's exactly what Joseph and Mary did. They left and went to Egypt to stay. And that's where they lived for, um, for some years till Jesus was probably around four years old. And then they returned. And when they came back, they came back to the town of Nazareth. And that's where we know of the city and the town that Jesus grew up in is Nazareth. And he was a boy and grew up and uh, worked with his father, Joseph, and became a carpenter. We know how Jesus, you know, life was. He, he stayed there until he was 30 years old. And he worked in that town as a carpenter. And, and so everybody would know who he was. Everybody would know that Jesus, you know, he's Joseph's son. He, he grew up. He had brothers and sisters, the Bible says. And he worked and he was just like anyone else as a carpenter working. But at the age of 30, Jesus left there and left Nazareth. And so, you know, you probably imagine in a town like that, you know, it was probably not a huge city, but probably a smaller town that everybody probably realized after a while, hey, where's Jesus? I hadn't seen him around, you know, on the Sabbath day in the synagogue. He's, I wonder where he's at, you know. And so he had left and gone. Jesus had been away from Nazareth. He went away and, and began his public ministry. And that's kind of what we talked about, the miracles the first two Sunday, the first one was he did a miracle in Cana where he turned the water into wine. And then last week, Rick talked about um, the healing in Cana. So Jesus had been away for almost a year. In that year, he had been baptized by John the Baptist. He spent 40 days in the wilderness being tempted. 40 days and 40 nights by Satan, he was tempted. He was... Um, he, was, he had begun attracting followers. People were starting to follow him. He was starting to get a reputation. He went to Jerusalem to the Passover. That's where the first time he cleansed the temple in this, one, in this year. And then he also um, went down and performed the miracle in Cana and cleansed the temple again. I said that. And, and he performed a number of different miracles hereabout. And his, his fame was going out throughout the country. He spent about eight or nine months gaining disciples and baptizing in Judea. And then he returns home to his own country in Galilee. His preaching tour took him to different places. He was traveling around, and, and as the custom was, you see in the New Testament with Paul also, that on the Sabbath day they would go to the synagogue and they would read Scripture and then they would teach, and that's what Jesus was doing. And the Scripture says that he had favor, that people were amazed at the teaching that he, he was teaching and the way he was speaking because most people knew his reputation was that he was a carpenter, that he was from Nazareth. But here he is, he's traveling around doing miracles and teaching and preaching and healing. He returned to Galilee and that's what he was doing. And then next, number two, Jesus escapes being thrown over the cliff. Jesus returns home to his hometown of Nazareth and as the custom was, he went to the synagogue and he picked up the scriptures and read, it says in Luke 4, he read this. Read this with me. This is kind of our key verse for today. We're going to bring this up a little bit later, but this is kind of our key verse. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, 
and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. So after reading this scripture, he sat down and began to teach, and he said, this scripture is fulfilled today. This is me. The scriptures are talking about me. And he goes on to do some other teaching and bring up some other passages in the Old Testament that point to the the Messiah, the prophet that they were waiting for. And the the people were, were, again, were amazed because these were his hometown friends, right? These were his buds, you know? These are people he grew up with. These are people who knew him all his life. And they were amazed at the way he taught. In verse 22, you don't have that, but it said, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Then they said, yet isn't this Joseph's son? You know, they were amazed at the way he talked and the way he spoke. But yet they said, this is just Joseph's son. He's just a carpenter. And so the, t- the, 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 the room takes a turn for the worse as Jesus goes on to talk about how that he would be rejected and how that even in his own town they wouldn't accept him for who he was. And then he brings up two Old Testament stories. We don't have time to go into all of them. But he brings up two Old Testament stories about Elijah and Elijah, how that in the, in the times of trouble in, in the Old Testament and long ago, that in the time of trouble that Elijah and Elijah lived in, that he didn't go to the Jewish people, but he went to Gentiles and performed miracles and healed. And this really made them mad. This, this ticked them off. Because pretty much what he was saying is, because you're not going to accept me here in my hometown in Nazareth, in my home country, we even know his, all of his people would reject him, or most of his people, that, that this made them angry. Because he said, because you're rejecting me, God is going to reject you. And that's what made them so mad. In Luke 4 it says, When they heard this, what Jesus said, everyone in the synagogue was enraged. So they went from saying, okay, he has favor. Oh, he's, he's doing a great job. We love him. Look at the way he's teaching. In just a matter of minutes, they became enraged. They got up and drove him out of town. And so Nazareth, Nazareth was built on a, town, on, a, on, a, on a hill. This is a city on a hill. And so they drove him. You ever been in a crowd where they were just pushing you so hard? that you couldn't get out, you know, a few weeks ago when, um, when they had the, the, um, the, the shooting, the bombing, whatever, in over in, at the concert, you know, the first thing you wonder is when you hear about the death hole, you know, how many people were killed because they were trampled, people trying to get out. You know, if you've ever been in a crowd like that, you know that there's nothing you can do. All you can do is just go with the crowd as they're pushing you and shoving you. And so it says that's what they did with Jesus. They drove him up drove him out of town and brought him to the edge of the hill that their town was built on, intending to hurl him off the cliff. And so they had brought him from the synagogue all the way to the hill, and they were getting ready to push him over the edge. That's what they were going to do. They were going to kill him because of what he had said in the synagogue. But, it said, he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. And that's the miracle that Jesus performed that day. Is he just, you know, in the movies you see, you may see a portrayed like this. Jesus put a black coat over his head and he kind of went like this, you know. That's not what it says. That's not what Jesus did. That's what an illusionist would do. You know, as we were planning this message today, everybody kept saying, you need to show a clip of a magician or something like that. But that's not what Jesus was. He wasn't a magician. He was a miracle worker. And it says he walked right back through the crowd that it just pushed him to the edge of the hill. 
And so his own people had rejected him. The home, his home people, the whole people that he had grown up with, this, maybe even some of his family were there. But they were rejecting him and seeking to kill him, but it wasn't his time. Next we see Jesus escaping in the temple. Fast forward about, uh, most scholars believe this is about 18 months after what happened in Nazareth. Is Jesus goes and um, he is traveling around again, you know, the, the story how he goes in different places and he's healing. And as he's doing more teaching and more healing and more traveling, his reputation gains even more um, status as um, someone to follow or someone to listen to or someone to go see. Many people were bringing their sick and their, their hurting to him to heal. Jesus had already upset the religious leaders in the Jerusalem and in the temple. Uh, the first time he went, he overthrew the, the tables and everything. And so they were already upset with him. Didn't care for what the people were saying about him. But at, at one point, they began to plot how they could kill Jesus because he's trouble. He's causing trouble with our system of governing and, and, and the people. And he's causing trouble with that what they believe. And so they came up with a plan that they needed to find out where he was at and kill him because they were breaking their religious laws. Jesus had a conversation with his brothers. Um, they, it was the time of the year where they would go up to um, the temple. It was in the fall. Um, this, and they had the Feast of Tabernacles or the, the Feast of Booths. And this was a time when you would go up. The men were required to go to Jerusalem to the temple and worship. And they were to go, and um, this was something that every male would be required to do. Of course, not all of them did that, but they were expected to go. And so Jesus is talking with his brothers before he went up because he hadn't been up there knowing that the, that the Jewish people were trying, that the Jewish Jews were trying to kill him and find him and kill him. And so they ask him, you know, they're kind of mocking him. Hey, aren't you going up there? You know, you've got this public ministry now. You're famous. You're a famous guy. Everybody in the country knows who you are. They know what you've done. Um, aren't you going up to the temple and show yourself at the Feast of Tabernacles? It isn't your time to go up there so your people can see you? And Jesus told them, no, I'm not going up there right now. But after they had left, sometime later during the, 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 the feast, he went up to Jerusalem. And everyone was amazed because he was there teaching in the temple Knowing, and, they, and that's what they said, they, hey, this, he, geez, there's Jesus. He's over there teaching and speaking and, and gathering a crowd. Doesn't he know that the Jews are trying to kill him? Don't, doesn't, he, don't he know this? Doesn't, you know, isn't he aware of that? And they were amazed that he was doing that. And John 7.30 says, Then they tried to seize him, yet no one laid a hand on him because, why? His hour had not yet come. It wasn't time for them to arrest him, to kill him. And on the final day of that feast, this feast would last about uh, seven days. And the, the, you know, you, all of it would, would gather around the temple. It was all about being at the temple and worshiping God. And, and, and the priest came up with different ways to, um, to remember different things. The Feast of Tabernacles was a time of remembering and looking back when the Jewish people traveled through the wilderness and they slept in tents. And so... The tradition was that um, during that time, sometime during that week, you were expected to eat outside or, or sleep out on the roof or, or be outside to remind you 
um, Jewish people of the time when you get, went through the wilderness. And, and they also had a ceremony that would remind them of, you know, how in the, in the wilderness, how Moses took and struck the rock and the water came out. You remember that story? Well, they had a little ceremony that they would do at the, on the last day of this feast where they would go down to the Pool of Siloam, where one, Jesus did one of his miracles, and they would go down and get this big pitcher of water, and they'd make a big show of it. I mean, it was huge. Everybody was there, and they would make a big parade of it, and they would go down and get this water, take it back to the temple, to the altar, and they would pour it out. And it was to remind them of that miracle in the, in the wilderness, how God provided water for them, but it was also to look forward to the coming winter. This Again, this feast was in the fall. It was It was to remind them of the... God's providing water for them, providing because they were an agricultural community, you know, or, or a place they had to have rain, they had to water. So they would look back and remember how God provided them, but they'd also be looking forward to the wintertime when the rains would come, and it was kind of a, it was a big celebration. And so in the middle of this time when they're, you know, you can picture everybody following the priest as he's holding up this water pot, you know, and they're going to the altar, and it's, it's a big deal. There's a lot of people there. And during that time, Jesus stood up and he said this verse that you may remember. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. And so he's standing up screaming, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. And of course, that made the Jewish, Jewish leaders even more angry because pretty much they saw him making himself equal with God. And the crowd was split. There were different ideas about who Jesus was and why he was doing what he was doing. And so the crowd itself was split between, um, you know, they, some hated him, some adored him, and some followed him. But the Jewish leaders wanted to kill him. And John 7, says this, Some even wanted him arrested, but no one laid a hand on him. So Jesus is here in this temple, and they wanted to take him. And we know that later on they would, but at this time it wasn't his time, and so Jesus escapes in the temple. Fast forward about two to three months later, Jesus leaves the festival and continues his ministry, and then about two or three months later he goes back to the temple. And at this time, this is another feast that they were having. It was called the Feast of Dedication. It was a feast of dedication that they will remember when... Um, the new temple, you know, the old temple had been torn down. They rebuilt the temple. And this temple had been dedicated. And so they had a um, festival, a feast, a, a celebration time of when that, that the newer temple had been dedicated. And if you, um, if you go and look up what that all means, that nowadays it's um, our modern day, what they call Hanukkah. And so they've taken that, what used to be the Old Testament, or the, the old time um, feast of um, celebration and the dedication of the temple, and they've taken that and made it to Hanukkah. Now they celebrate Hanukkah. But anyway, it, it happens in December, late November, December. And so it had been about two months since Jesus was at the temple, and they tried to grab him and tried to arrest him then, and they weren't successful. Jesus was teaching in the temple again, and the Jewish leaders once again surrounded him. In John 10, 31, it says, Again, the Jews picked up rocks, to stone him. And so Jesus asked them, he has a conversation. As they're picking up rocks to get ready to stone him in the temple and kill him, Jesus asked them, 
For which one of these works are you stoning me for that I did for the Father? Which one of these are you stoning me for? And they answered back that they're not stoning him for the miracles that he performed, but they were stoning him because he was blaspheming God. He was making himself equal to God. And so he escapes once again. John 10.39 says, Then they were trying again to seize him, yet he eluded their grasp. That word seize means they weren't just trying to grab him. They were trying to grab him to arrest him, to take him and kill him. That's what they wanted. They wanted to grab him and take him. But it wasn't his time again, so he eluded their grasp and left. These events, these four different events, clearly show us that the life of Jesus was a miracle in itself and that he had a plan to go to the cross and nothing was going to sway him from that plan. The events in his life show the miraculous ability that Jesus had to stay alive until the appointed time, until he would voluntarily lay down his life and allow himself to be taken in the garden. So what is this miracle? What do these miracles of, of Jesus teach us about him escaping? Um, Jesus, the escape artist. What is that? What are these stories of him getting away from the Jewish leaders and from Herod? What does that teach us? Some application. Number one, A, God can handle my life plans. The Bible tells us that it's wise for us to make plans. It's wise for us to plan out our lives. It's wise for us to uh, plan out our spiritual lives. It's good to have a spiritual plan for your life, for spiritual growth. And we talk about that a lot here. We talk about the importance of a daily quiet time and how important prayer is, how important it is to be in connection with one another. And that's a spiritual plan. So that's a very important plan that you can put together in your life. The Bible talks about how important it is to plan out our relationships. As we plan out our relationships with our spouses, our children, there's certain things we should and shouldn't do. It's important that we have a plan for our career, for our career paths. And, you know, we sit, a lot of people sit down and they, they evaluate, you know, their strengths and their weaknesses and they plan out a, a career plan. And it's good to have those kinds of plans. It's good to plan out um, how to have a, a healthy life, you know. Maybe I don't want to talk about that too much, but it's a good thing to have a plan to have a healthy body and to have a healthy life. Things that we eat, things that we put in our bodies or don't put in our, our bodies. And that's all a part of our plan, whether you have one or not. You should have one. You know, I was um, this week, I think the NBA playoffs, I don't watch basketball, but I think I saw on the news that the NBA championships were this week. Is that true? Yeah. I played basketball, I think I played maybe three games when I was a kid. I joined the basketball team, you know, because living down here in the in the uh, 70s, there wasn't a whole lot to do. Either you did some sports, and that was school sports, and that was it. There was no big league, soccer, and all that. I, I didn't even know what soccer was for a long until I was an older boy. So it was either basketball or baseball. That was pretty much it. And so, you know, everybody, all my friends were playing base, basketball, so I was like, well, I'll join the team, you know. And so my idea of basketball was getting on the court and running back and forth up and down and trying to get the ball. That was it. You know, that was my plan for basketball. And I think I played three games 
And uh, I said, this is not for me. I quit. But when I was playing basketball, and when you look at professional players in basketball or football, whatever sport, they have a plan, don't they? They don't just show up and try to get the ball. Like, that's what I did, you know. They, they have detailed plans on each team even. Hey, we're playing so-and-so this week. They have this player on there. Let's make some plans to go around that. You know, they have hundreds and hundreds of plans to win the game. And so the same thing is true with us. You know, there's different areas in our lives that we need to plan out. But if we do that without God's help or with Christ at the center, then we're, we're, we're being futile because God wants us to be, he wants to be at the center of our plans that we make. In all these areas in our lives, we have plans and he wants to be at the center of our plans. But no matter how much we plan, and we should, we should plan good things, and no matter how much we plan, God can throw a wrench into our plans, though, can he? You know, there's things that come up unexpectedly that we don't expect. I know with me, when I plan my week out, um, I plan each day out in each job that I have. I have these different jobs that I have to get done and different tasks that I have to do. And if one person doesn't show up and do their job, you know what that does to my plans? Yes. It makes me very upset and frustrated because I have planned out all these plans for the whole week, you know, to get everything done that needs to be done. And when one wrench comes in, it really upsets me. I have to be careful about that. Proverbs says this, Proverbs 19 says, 1921 says, you can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. If God can handle planning out the plan of salvation, He can handle planning out Jesus' life from beginning to end. If God can plan out a Bible that we have that spans thousands of years but tells the same story, I think he can handle our plans, can he? In our lives. So we need to trust him with our plans. B, Jesus loves, Jesus' love, Jesus' love is like no other. As we consider the life of Jesus, the time and again, time and again, we see the enemy trying to draw him off course, to pull him away from what the Father and he had planned for his life. Time and time again, but they stuck to that plan because he loved the Father and he loved us. He was determined to keep the plan of salvation, to go to that cross, just like the prophets had said, and to fulfill each one of those plans to save us. He worked that plan and he loved us so much that he went to the cross for us. Today we remember that as we take fellowship as a communion, we, as we gather together in fellowship, as we take communion together. We remember his death on the cross and what he did for us. All along, knowing that's where he was going. Jesus loved us so much that he voluntarily gave up his life, not as a baby when Herod wanted to kill him, not in his hometown when they wanted to throw him over the cliff, not in the temple when they wanted to stone him. But his plan was to die on the cross, the most humiliating and painful death imaginable for you and I. He loved us enough to do that. He loved us enough to stay on track and go to the cross.
but on His terms and in His time. Look at John 19, 10, 11. This is what Pilate said. You refuse to speak to me. And we know the story how Jesus that day he had gone through different trials. He had been to the temple and the, and the priests had put him on trial and they had slapped him around and beat him. And then they took him to Pilate and he went uh, and they were torturing him. And, and, and at different times, Jesus answered some of the questions that he had. But at this time, Pilate says, you refuse to speak to me. Don't you know I have power to set you free and power to have you crucified? And Jesus answered, the only power you have over me is the power given to you by God. It wasn't man's plan. It was his voluntary love for us to give his life for us. All we have to do is trust him for salvation. Next, see. You and I can show the love that Jesus had for us, for one another. We can do that every day. We can take that love that He showed for us, that He voluntarily gave up His life, and we can love one another. Go back to the verse that we read back in Luke when Jesus stood up in the synagogue and He read the Scripture that spoke about Him. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Can we bring good news to the poor? Yes? No? Anybody awake out there? Can we bring good news to the poor? Yes. yes. We're supposed to be just like Jesus. We can also bring good news to the poor. And that's what we're supposed to do as we show love to one another. The other day I was riding, I was convicted the other day. The other day I was coming home, I was going to work. I think I was going back and forth from Kettle Hills to up north or something. I was coming down the bypass. And as I did, I just kind of out of the corner of my eye, something caught me. Uh, we have a lot of foreign students that come in, in the summertime and work from different areas of the, the world. And um, as I was going through, I saw this scene as I was going down the bypass on the other side. I saw someone who looked like a, probably a foreign student standing there talking to two young men dressed in black pants, white shirts, black ties, on, a bi on two bicycles. You know, and as I went by there and I saw that scene, I thought, man, that should be one of us out there talking to that student, you know. But we get so caught up in our own plans that we don't think about that. But we can show good news to the poor, just like Jesus did with us. He said, he has sent me to proclaim that captives can be released. We can do the same thing. We can take the good news and let people know that are captive to sin or to fear or to anxiety. People that are captive to hate. People that are captive to unforgiveness. We can help them to be set free. That the blind can see. Those who are blinded by hate those who are blinded by false beliefs, false religion, false philosophy. We can do that. We can help set those same people free. We can help those who are oppressed, those who are oppressed by addiction or inadequacies. We can help them be set free. And lastly, that the time of the Lord's favor has come. That's hope. You and I can do that. We can take the same love that Jesus showed by going to the cross and we can show it to one another 
to other people in our world. Too many people think this. They think, yes, I love Jesus. Yes, I can love Jesus. And I do love Jesus. But, you know, I'm not too fond of so-and-so or this person. Part of loving Jesus is loving one another. That's how we love Jesus. And in Paul's instruction to the Corinthian church about the Lord's table, that's what he told them. He wrote to them and said, in your church, there's divisions among you. There's people that don't get along. There's no unity. He said, and that's not a good thing. And he said, there's also a, a situation and an atmosphere where you don't love one another. When you come together for the Lord's table, you don't wait for people. You're just selfish. And he said, because you're doing these things, because you're separated, there's no unity between you, because you don't look out for one another, for the poor, he says, you're not even really eating the Lord's Supper. You're just eating. He said, you go home and do that. You can do that at home. He said, if you're just going to come and eat and drink, just do that at home. But if you want to come together and observe the Lord's table, then you've got to love one another. And that's when we celebrate. That's how we celebrate Christ's love for us. And that's how we remember it. So if you're here this morning and you know that you're a believer, you understand what salvation is all about. You said, I've, I've heard the story of Christ going to the cross and I believe that. I trust that. That's my belief. Then you're welcome to take then and observe the Lord's table. If you haven't done that, we say just watch and observe. If you're a Christian here and you say, you know, I, I really haven't had um, the, the best feelings about so-and-so or this person or that person and that may be something you need to deal with. Whenever we come to the Lord's table, we have a time of self-examination. When we examine ourselves, the Bible says, to see if there's any sin there that would keep me from coming and observing the Lord's table with one another in communion with each person. So right now, if you would, bow your heads and just take just a minute and, and, and search your heart. See if there is something that's keeping you from celebrating the Lord's table. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church. Love God, love others, reach the world. 